welcome to a very special edition of A Novel Evening. As always, I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram and TikTok as at A Novel Evening Podcast. And this is a super exciting episode because it's one with a little twist. In conjunction with the Tandem Collective UK, go and check them out. They are incredible. If you love a read along, if you love discovering books you've never seen before, go and check them out immediately. But I'm working with them on this very special episode of A Novel Evening. And we are going to be talking about Strong Female Character by Fern Brady. And I'm going to be joined by one of my (laughs) bookster besties, Jen at Little Red Library. Um, And we're going to be chatting all about the book. And Jen will have some very interesting insights into this story. Uh, She was also lately diagnosed in life as being on the autistic spectrum. And I can't wait to hear how she can relate to Fern's story. It's such an interesting, funny novel. I cannot recommend it enough. I've been obsessed with it. It's such a deeply honest yet incredibly funny novel. Um, Me and Jen are going to deep dive a bit. We're going to talk about how, you know, we received the book, what we got from it, how it made us feel. Um, I have suffered with mental health issues from teenagehood um, right through to adulthood, only very recently diagnosed with CPTSD. So for me, reading about kind of learning about yourself, learning about who you truly are was very touching to me. But anyway, I give away too much. Let's dive into the episode and let's welcome Jen onto the podcast. So a big hello to Jen. Hello. Hello, Didi. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. How are you, darling? I'm good. I'm good. This is a weird one. So for listeners, Jen and I are very, very good friends. So this isn't your ordinary kind of where I come a guest on. This is two pals having a chat, which I love. Yeah, and I'm super excited that you've asked me on to have a chat because we are talking about a book that I absolutely love and is super close to my heart. Yes, so... First and foremost, the book is Strong Female Character, written by Fern Brady. I've been getting stuck into it, and it has absolutely opened my eyes, I think, and has completely changed my way of thinking, um, not only about kind of a late diagnosis in autism, but also kind of about my own life and my own childhood and things that maybe I haven't thought about. So for listeners, let's dive into a bit about you. Let's tell people who you are. Introduce yourself. Yeah, of course. So hello, I am Jen. Um, I am part of Team Tandem over at Tandem Collective. I work with books. I also work in feminist education over at Our Streets Now. Um, And I am a late diagnosed autistic woman, a goth, and a bit all-round mad. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you said there, absolutely true. So we're obviously going to talk a bit about your late diagnosis. So I'm wondering if you're comfortable to tell me a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, of course. So I had been the weird one in my family forever. Um, so I'm one of lots of sisters, all of whom are, are super clever Um, And I had grown up as this kind of strange sister that while I have sisters who are like accountants and and super good with numbers, I just, I can't understand anything to do with numbers and I am wordy and I am, I am the little weirdo. And I had been having mental health treatment for the majority of my life. I had various diagnoses and then it wasn't until 
I was in my early 30s that um, I started working with a therapist and I'm kind of saying like I don't understand why I can't get better like nothing is helping like medication various types of therapies they just they aren't doing anything um, and that therapist who is a specialist in working with neurodivergent women said to me look I don't necessarily know that you are very depressed I think that you might be a very overstimulated autistic person and that was the first time anybody had said it to me and when I look back now there are so many things that point to it I mean I I used to mirror writing as a child I can't cope with fluorescent lights all these things and and so that therapist referred me onwards um and after about a year's wait on the waiting list it turned out that in fact yes I am um, autistic. So there must have been, you know, Fern's story that she tells in this book is incredibly open and honest about her own journey. There must have been quite a lot that resonated with you as you were reading. Obviously, I know all experiences are, are very different, but did you kind of see elements of yourself reflected in her journey? Oh, it was it was incredible to read Fern's book. So as I work in the book industry, I was lucky enough to get a, a proof copy. Um, fairly early last year so I've read it three times at this point and the first time I read it um I I laughed so much but I also absolutely sobbed because so much of it was just it was like reading me um and I've read it again a couple of times since then and it's equally moving but it's just it's incredible and so much of what Fern says especially about how when we would have gone to school kind of in the in the 90s autistic children were seen as you know boys boys that love trains and that's just not the case so so many of us fell through the gaps so it was it was a, a revelation to to read the book yeah I mean for myself I haven't been diagnosed as autistic or ADHD uh both my children my, my son is going through the process at the moment of having a referral um, but there are very much elements of myself growing up. And as I was reading, I thought, my gosh, there's so much of this that I'm like, mm -hmm. I was like that. And I remember always being told like my feelings were too big when I was a kid. Like Danielle yeah. is too sensitive. She feels too much. She wears a heart on her sleeve. Those kinds of messages were really kind of, I don't know what it was like for you in terms of how people received you growing up. Yeah, so I think, I mean, when I was diagnosed, I mean, and I hadn't really considered it super much, but as I was kind of telling my sisters and stuff, everyone was like, yeah, no one's surprised because I've, <laughs> I've been weirded for all this time. Um, but I think growing up, there was just that sense of being really, you can't understand jokes. Like Fern says in the book, you think people are lying to you <laughs> when they're trying to joke and just everything feels a little bit, a little bit wrong and you're constantly in sensory overload and yeah it's just a really I think it you feel very kind of outside of everyone else um yeah. but I think now that we're getting to the stage and more and more women certainly of around our age are getting diagnosed it's really lovely because you kind of feel like okay so we all felt like this and it really is sort of supporting each other yeah and when Fern speaks in the book about receiving her diagnosis and the moment she kind of got that her reaction to that was quite visceral she had very kind of mixed emotions about not wanting to share it not wanting to say about it that she should continue quote unquote being normal 
how did mm-hmm. you feel when you got that? Did that kind of change your outlook on yourself or how you felt you needed to present? Because I know you very well. So <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, do you know what? It's a really, I completely identify with Fern there. And I think it's a really hard thing because in one way you're feeling like, okay, so actually I'm not just really mentally unwell. My brain is different and I can advocate my, for myself in all of these ways. But at the same time, we know statistics like only 14% of adults in the UK are in with autism are in full-time work. We know that it's going to potentially yeah. affect what we do going forward. And like, we want people to still see us as, as funny and, and pretty and smart. And hireable and as well. You still want people to see you as someone who is a positive member of society, that you're still to contribute in a workplace or in a home environment, right? That's exactly it. So you don't want to become the autistic one. So I think there's a lot of relief in knowing, but there's also a real nervousness in who do I tell and how and when do I tell them? Yeah, I think it's the thing about labels, right? And that for me, you know, my journey has been more kind of with mental health. I was diagnosed this year with CPTSD and kind Mm -hmm. of BPD, which is something that and I spent years, and I think my parents would not mind me saying that I think they Googled a lot and were like, is she bipolar? Is that what it yes. is? Is it this? Is it that trying to find a solution? And and I remember my mum kind of saying, well, we don't want you labelled. Mm-hmm. We don't want you labelled. And even now, you know, as my son's going through this, there's still this thing from kind of an old generation of, he doesn't need to be labelled. Yeah. Did you find there was something kind of freeing and almost having the label so you could understand? Did you feel like it was kind of a branding I think that I definitely felt a bit of both. I felt that it was quite freeing in being able to advocate for myself, like being able to say, oh, I, you know, I can't do this because I'm autistic. Like I need this to happen because I have autism. But at the same time, it's really like, oh, you don't want people to just, you know, say, oh, Jen's really funny. It's because she's weird because she's autistic. So it's... I think it's definitely a double-edged sword. It comes with some real mental calm, but it also comes with that constantly kind of, I think we all have it in various ways, as you say, wanting people to really love you for who you are. Yeah. And I feel that in Fern's book, I think the the moment that really touched me is the very opening page of the book where she's telling her father and she's mm-hmm. called him up. And I don't know if it's a generational thing as well, plays in there. So we're kind of all similar ages. I say to Firm, we're kind of those 90s babies. As I was reading her, like teenagers, I resonated very strongly as well with some of the kind mm-hmm. of quote unquote acting out. Because I think yeah. I did very similar. I don't know about you with your teenage years, but I think there was a lot of kind of almost screaming and shouting to be hurt. Something's wrong. Something is wrong. So I'm going to do all these crazy, outrageous things. Also, yeah. so I can fit in. Maybe if I do these things, everyone seems to think they're really fun. Maybe I'll be cool or popular, but also something is wrong. Yeah, that's it. And I think Fern finds that throughout the book as well. Like no matter where she tries to fit in, she feels yeah. slightly different because that is how, you know, that is how autism can make you feel, um, which can be really isolating, but I love that she it kind of gives a nod in, in her book to various women that have come to speak to her and like the Twitter community and and the Reddit community. Like I love Reddit. I'm on um, Women with Autism Reddit constantly. So I think it can feel 
incredibly isolating but I think reading Fern's book is like a huge beautiful step to feel you're not alone and then finding these other communities oh she's so honest as well as I was reading it there were things that I don't know if I'd be brave enough to share in kind of written form with people um Mm -hmm. and she's also very very self-deprecating yeah which I I love what really struck me about her honesty and I feel like this is something you're really going to relate to with me (laughs) because we have danced together in clubs Um, (laughs) it's how she talks about sex how she talks about how autistic women just don't necessarily view sex in the same way and we can view it more freely because we don't have a sense of these kind of social constructs that other women maybe I won't do this because I'm a nice girl like I have as you well know, none of that. And I hadn't really heard women talk about that so openly before. So that was, yeah, that that was brilliant to hear. And I loved that in the book. Yeah. My favourite bit is when she's gone to her boyfriend's house at Christmas. She's finally met her boyfriend's parents. And they're all like kind of sharing these stories and these kind of to see who could they're sharing swear words right so they're like let's do the alphabet game we can all share a swear word and she comes out with minger and i did not know <laughs> i won't share it but i did not know what the actual definite i call people a minger for absolutely years and years i was like yeah you're minger and she shares that and i love how proud she is as well she's like i have <laughs> nailed this i have got this spot this is exactly the vibe but I can also not, I can't imagine how draining it must be to have to constantly kind of like, right, this is what I'm going to say. This is the right thing to say. I'm going to say it. This will go down well. Only to realise you've completely missed the mark. Completely. I would think that was hilarious, but. But most people wouldn't. And this is no. the thing. Then you leave meetings or you leave social engagements and you run through everything that you've said in your head. And like Fern does in, in the book with, with Connor, you find yourself saying to the people you're really close to, like, what do you think they meant when they said that? Like, I've sent this message. Do you think that's okay? So it just is another level of of trying to figure people out because I'm sorry, but neurotypical people, you do not make sense. <laughs> do you know, I'm a, and I've always kind of been called like a chronic overthinker and I definitely <laughs> am. I will overthink a response from or even what I've said and their response and my brain will go off in a thousand different ways as to what are they mad at me they don't seem Mm -hmm. mad at me but they put a full stop so they must be mad at me Mm -hmm. and I am very I find text is one of the worst things to try and have a a proper conversation I don't know about you but if someone's texting me in conversation I cannot read it no, I can't. And I think I'm so over the top effusive, especially with my friends as well, that I find it really hard. Like messaging you earlier, I was like, my darling angel gorgeous chops, will you send me a, a Zoom link? I Which love I love. I love that. But I but also then if I... for some people, they're like, what? <laughs> and then if they days. respond to me, like, yeah, I'll send the link. No, I'm like, oh no, they hate me it's over we're never going to speak again yeah it must be exhausting though it must be tiring to double do you find you do that as much now do you find that you're able to kind of be yourself and not read so much or do you still do it no I definitely still do it I think I 
I do it less with people that I know really well. Like, for example, um, Shah Tandem, who we both know, I will quite often say things to her and she'll be like, you're unhinged. So I can just like speak completely as I am to her. Um, but particularly like in a work environment with, with clients or when I'm in schools, like teaching young people, like I'm constantly on that alert of double checking and running things through my mind before I say them and the other thing I found really interesting in the book is when Fern is talking about how men were viewing her and Mm -hmm. this is something that's been said to me um not by my husband but the term manic pixie dream girl Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have heard Mm -hmm. Fern mentions this in the book of how someone you know one of her partners calls her a gorgeous weirdo yeah I mean, I'm going to say something really disturbing now, which kind of is very similar to what Fern experiences in the book, is that I've actually seen in the autism subreddits on Reddit that women have had boyfriends who have really kind of enjoyed the fact of how, you know, naive and young they seem and want them to be saying kind of, oh no, what are you doing to me in a sexual sense? Oh, it's almost like fetishizing it as a... Exactly that. Yeah, so it's definitely kind of... Well, we know as women that there are always going to be people who prey on what they see as vulnerability and autism is no different to that, I assure you. So, yeah, I completely identify with what Fern says there. I think, you know, a lot of my relationships I've been seeing as that kind of manic pixie dream girl supporting character type. Um, Oh, she's quirky. She's quirky, mm -hmm. but she's cute. She's quirky and funny, but she's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it, I think that is the danger. You know, I, it's really intriguing when you look at the difference between, I used to work with people in autism and mm. the kind of the differences in the way it presents. Um, you know, that's from ADHD, autism, Asperger's, through to mental health issues. How it presents in men versus women mm. is so, and I think women are, we learn to mask better. We learn how to mirror the behavior we send. That's maybe not true for across the board. I'm sure there are many young men who experience autism who can do that. But as a general rule, it seems like young girls and women kind of find a way to cope better and to mask and to kind of, and they can play it off as that kind of manic pixie dream girl thing. They can play off quirky. Yeah. And Fern mentions this in kind of the last pages of his her book, but unfortunately it has to be really similar for, for black people, for people of colour, because they just don't have, you know, we know that within schools they punish more harshly to towards black children. So black people also learn how to mask so that they're not seen as aggressive, so that they're not seen as troublemakers. So for so long it really has been that it's the, you know, it's the white boys who get diagnosed whereas it's the girls and the people of color that are kind of trying to figure out I mean hopefully we're seeing a change in that but it is and that's why so much of the kind of autism science is based on what it looks like in young white boys yeah that's it's so interesting I think when you look back at the science of it and and Fern mentions kind of when she first goes to say, well, I think I might be autistic. Like we've got a boyfriend. So, mm-hmm. and she mentions, you know, you're talking about studies that were done solely on small white boys. Yeah. And, like, hey. and I think Fern says in the book, like 
that the person she initially speaks to says, oh, you make eye contact with me. And I've heard that as well. And yet in my autism assessment, it kind of said like, Jennifer thinks she's making eye contact, but at times it's too much. And it, at times it's erratic. So we learn to- <laughs> It's really intense. You're like bush baby. It's really intense. I'm really gazing into your eyes. Like I really love you. Um, but like we learn how to pretend to kind of try and do that. Yeah. I think it's so it's that learning and I think the one thing now I'm a parent and I have a small boy who's you know in the process of a diagnosis is where did the benchmark for normal begin mm-hmm. where was this benchmark for kids should be making eye contact with people all the time where did that come from that's the interesting bit for me is who decided what quote-unquote normal is where did that come from yeah. but obviously this is a Victorian going you know even further about the little kids sat nicely they did as they were told. They learn their letters promptly. They learn their numbers promptly. They can sit still, hands in their laps, looking at their teacher. And that benchmark has kind of carried through. It really has. I think we just have absolutely wild expectations of vast swathes of our society that, like, <laughs> especially in children. I find it, my son is, I mean, you couldn't not meet my son and not think for a second he's not got ADHD. Like, he mm-hmm. is just. It's like someone's plugged in a battery and he just kind of vibrates around the room. Yeah. Like, God love him. He, he physically cannot stay still. And I remember being so scared when he was starting school of thinking, well, they're going to want him to sit on a carpet. Mm-hmm. And he does do it. But I mean, there's, he can't sit still. And thank God, like I remember when I was in primary school that you sat down. And if you didn't sit down nicely, cross-legged, hands in your laps, you were naughty. But also, Didi, why is that important? Like I have not had a single job in my life where I've been judged on how well I can sit on a carpet. Yes. How well like, can you nobody sit? Nobody asks me to sit on a carpet. No, it's like, yeah, that is the bizarre bit to me. You know, why is it that we focus on good behavior? And I'm doing air quotes here. I mean, it's even for my babies are tiny. The amount when I had my little ones, I'm sure you had it too. Are they good? Are they a good baby? Mm-hmm. What's a good baby? Yeah. Are they a good toddler? Yeah. What? They eat snot it's wild, and they, they're, they're toddlers. <laughs> it ate a slug. It's fine. Yeah. Like what, what yeah, constitutes as a good, and it raises the anxiety in parents so much. And it almost became this almost demonized thing of this fear that your child could be ADHD, could be autistic, could mm-hmm. be dyslexic, could be, it was almost like a fear thing. Because I think for so long with ADHD, particularly ADHD has been a synonym for naughty boys to be honest that it has been used with with teachers and parents but when you refer to a young person as having ADHD you mean they won't behave you mean that they're the naughty boy in class and they're disruptive and it it is a horrible stereotype so I'm not surprised that there is like a fear there that you don't want your child to be labeled that yeah, and I won't, I won't lie, I adore my son. He absolutely fits that stigma, 100%. Mm-hmm. But he is, he's overly enthusiastic to the yeah. point of being kind of crazy because he's like, oh my God. <laughs> if he doesn't want to do, he also, we're having diagnosed with ODD, so oppositional defiant disorder, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Parents out there whose kids have that, it's fun. But again, if you're going to say to him, we're going outside now, put your shoes on, he's like, um, no. I don't want to go and pick up bugs in the rain. 
this is like, so I, I've had so many notes in like school things and yep. various like work appraisals where it said like Jennifer resents authority and like rather than being like well, actually why does she they're just like yeah. well, she's very bad yeah, that is and she, that's what firm in the book as well when she says at home I was evil and there's mm-hmm. a story in there that I really relate to with my son as well in that she's a bridesmaid Mm-hmm. at a wedding and they've stuck her in this dress which century wise I mean we remember dresses in the 90s that mm-hmm. shit was not comfortable they nope. did not make dresses for there was a lot of tool yeah like that was not tool, but it was not soft tool either. <laughs> it was not soft tool and tool in your armpits at the age of whatever she was in the book mm-hmm. very little and you know she's she can't bear it she's describes having her hair pinned to her scalp in these braids and people mm-hmm. were basically expecting her to, you know, stand and have pictures taken. And she hated it. And yeah. my son used to have an awful time. If I had to put him in, like, smart, if it was, like, smart shirt mm-hmm. and jeans, he would go mad. And I, his christening, I put him in a small suit with gold shoes because why wouldn't I do that to my small child? Mm-hmm. And he was livid. And looking yeah. back now, I wish I thought, well, maybe it's too tight and too hot and it's rubbing on his neck or it's... But in the book, like Fern says, she's immediately, well, she's the bad child. She ruined that. All we, we offered her chewits and she still wouldn't have her pitch taken. And then and they smack her and sit on her, which like now feels wild. But in the 80s and 90s was like, oh yeah, obviously that's what you're going to do. Obviously we're going to give them a smack. You know, we offered chewits, <laughs> they wouldn't take them. So we're going to smack them. It was, and I didn't come from like a smacky household. I have to say yeah. that wasn't, but you know, even so, nobody saw any harm in like a rap on the bum. No. Nope. Very different now. I mean, you and I are both parents and, you know, your children will drive you insane. I will say that. But it's that bit in the book made me, I think that really broke my heart, reading about this little girl who just didn't, she didn't want to wear this dress and she didn't want to have her hair tightly done in braids and she was just angry. Mm -hmm. And I know that's where, you know, trigger warning for people who are listening that's where kind of the self-harm kind of begins for her as well. It's, you know, where she's been hit and has been touched at kind of scratching. And I can't imagine touch feeling that way. And I think that's where she kind of, it feels like she's quite lost in that part of the book. I mean, she says at a point, like she keeps saying to people, what do you mean? And they're mimicking back to her, like, what do you mean? And that they don't quite understand that she's genuinely saying what do you mean? I don't understand the message behind what you're saying, which you can you can imagine feels incredibly isolating. Oh, for, it's heartbreaking to imagine yeah. a, a child of any age asking mm. the people who they love and believe will give them the best advice to be kind of mimicked back is must be so painful. Absolutely, but then I think as well, kind of without without giving anything away, Fern goes on to kind of. I'm not going to say reconcile, but she understands her parents. And I think as well, there just wasn't, I hope it's getting better, but there just wasn't that education about what autism in your child might look like and, and how you manage and deal with that. Yeah. I will say, you know, from my own experience with having a referral, it's still very difficult as a parent. Mm-hmm. Schools are wonderful at supporting them in school. It's very difficult to get support outside. Yeah. There's a lot of having to kind of do, and also, you know, we are still human beings. Those parents who have children who are on the spectrum or are kind of neurodivergent, you're still human beings. You're still going to feel 
frustrated and tired <laughs> and I can't you know my son is not he is repetitive with food he will ask for snacks mm. constantly and I'll come to a point where I think you've asked me for a snack 20 times in the last yeah. 10 minutes the answer is not going to change I've given you my answer but I can imagine for some parents that's all day long yeah no absolutely and I think there's also probably this thing Danny of I feel sometimes like I'm speaking to somebody and they're speaking a different language and so mm. I imagine it must feel exactly the same way coming the other way yeah. so for that parent to feel that they are trying to communicate with their child and they are just speaking a language that the child can't understand yeah. must feel incredibly hard and and frustrating and painful you know. I think when you have children you always have this idea in your head of how it'll be and I Mm-hmm. I know for me I kind of made assumptions about my child before they were here which is madness but you have this image in your head and you think your child will be just like you and you mm-hmm. know my daughter is not I'm very academic I love to read my daughter yeah. is is not she's very much into art and she's quite sporty and I was like well I have nowhere to go with this <laughs> I loathe sport what do you... she's like should we go and do football I'm like no I haven't done physical my heart rate hasn't gone up you know in 23 years like absolutely not but you look good for it I will take that (laughs) (laughs) thank you but I think it's that thing if you have an idea of what your children will be and when your children don't meet these kind of hypothetical expectations it is still hard yeah factor in things in in terms of you know in terms like dyslexia I never kind of considered my child would never struggle with anything like that and as soon as my daughter found school like difficult I was like this wasn't I didn't plan this yeah no exactly and I think it's really I mean of course it's really hard to see that when you are the when you are the autistic person when you're in it but it must be so hard for everyone and I think in the book Fern does do a really good job and I love the open pages when she's speaking to her dad about kind of actually showing that it's not just it was really hard for Fern, but it's been really tough for everyone. Yeah. And I think there was, for me, the, the pages that most resonated were her teenage years. Mm-hmm. Felt very close to my experiences. I kind of, I self-harmed. I drank very, very heavily. Yeah. And my mother kind of reacted in fairly similar ways. And at the time I felt very kind of resentful and almost kind of oppressed that she wasn't helping. She was just trying to keep me home all the time and, kind of lock me away and now as a mother I kind of think I can't imagine how scary that must be when you don't understand your child to that degree that you can't understand what's fueling them that they're doing all these kind of things that you see as and to find that you know spoiler alert but she obviously her first time she sleeps with a very hot waiter mm-hmm. and her mother also has a very religious background which plays yeah. into it so for her this is the worst thing her daughter could have done and it's horrific. So I can't imagine the feeling of hopelessness because you don't understand what's happening. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I had a very similar kind of teenagerhood and I feel like a lot of people our age did, but yeah, no, I, I agree. It must feel very hopeless and kind of conversely, I think the part that I most related to in in Fern's book is that part of when she's an she's an adult she's a professional and she's talking to her friends and trying to make light of the things that are happening to her like if I use as an example I lost my Apple Watch charger 
um, last week. And I, throughout the day, I set timers on my Apple Watch constantly. It's what gets me through the day. And genuinely, I, I was melting down. I could not get out of bed. And that feeling of trying to say to people around you, like Fern saying, I keep smashing stuff up, but kind of saying to people like, I can't get out of bed today and I can't come to my meeting because I've lost my Apple Watch charger. And just people looking at you and being like, yeah, I don't get that. But then yeah. also trying to live in this kind of professional world and people take you seriously. Like, I think that was so moving and so relatable for me, of that kind of feeling of you, you're an alien. Like nobody gets it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sat here like, listen to that and, I'm trying to get it but also yeah. having said that I'm you know my calendar is something I live by mm -hmm. and if something's not in my calendar and I forget it that I can't cope mm -hmm. the feeling of like embarrassment and shame to have forgotten rather than just saying like yeah I'm sorry I forgot I will like in my head I'm like well they hate me they're never gonna hire me again I'm never gonna work for them again I've screwed up so badly like whereas an actual conversation will often just fix things I mm -hmm. almost can't do it yeah no it and it's very similar it's like it's it's sensory overwhelm so yeah. for example because I usually set my day by timers and like on my watch I usually have 15 minutes by 15 minutes and if I don't know what I'm doing at that time I get panicky and then everything gets too loud and kind of I can't regulate my own temperature so then I'm the wrong temperature and I can't figure out what to do about my temperature everything smells wrong um and sometimes so it goes from naught to a hundred it straight away yeah exactly exactly that it's meltdown is completely the right word for it but trying to manage that and also being professional and I'm lucky that I have a fantastic group of colleagues at Tandem so I was able to message somebody that I had a meeting with and say look I'm really struggling with autistic overwhelm I just need to take this morning and I can't come to the meeting and she was like I hope you feel loads better um but trying to even communicate that professionally without saying my bed doesn't smell like peppermint and I'm upset is really hard. <laughs> we should be allowed to say that. Like that should be okay. And I get it. You know, there is, there are occasions where that is not deemed as acceptable. Uh <laughs> But, and I love that you're honest about it because I think for a lot of people, there's almost like this overwhelming shame of not, mm -hmm. not having their shit together. Yeah. And you're I've a, definitely had that. You're a 30 year old woman. You're supposed to have your shit yeah. together. Yeah. And I've had jobs where I wouldn't have been able to say that because I know that people would have judged me. I think working in a creative role is good because I think people sometimes do see you as a bit of a mad creative genius. Like she is completely mad, but she comes up with good stuff. Whereas yeah. if you're in a more sensible role, it can feel really hard to say that kind of thing because they kind of think, hmm, something very strange is going on there. Yeah, she's just meant to be here answering phones. Like this is not yeah. a big deal. Yeah, there's that difference yeah. in expectation, isn't there? Yeah, so I like... I think the way forward is that we have to be able to talk about it but at the same time I can see why that is so incredibly tough yeah and I wanted to ask you if you know because there is a range in the book of reactions to Fern and the way she behaves and 
you know, obviously she's working within a public eye, you know, and there's times when they're like, oh, you know, we're not going to have her back for the second season or we'll have you back at this and she doesn't get it. Have you ever had any kind of negative reactions to you? I've had a lot of people tell me that I'm too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that that is a very, that's a very common reaction to me. Oh, you know, Jen, she's she's a bit much, Um, which I get because I am a lot, like I talk a lot. I'm very like effusive. I move around a lot. I think that's the thing that I most get. And I find that really hard because as weird as it might seem, keeping in mind like how, how loud I am, like I'm quite, quite shy like I'm very aware of myself so for somebody to tell me that like I'm too much like that's that's very painful and I spend like a lot of time thinking about that but I think all autistic people will will relate to the feeling of you know you never you never quite fit anywhere you have really close friends and I'm like I'm lucky enough to have you that just accept you as you are and and they love you for your madness but that the majority of people you will feel like you notice that somebody is kind of raising their eyebrow or like there's Mm. like a glance between people of like they're implying that you're strange and like it's always it's always there I don't know about you the one place I find most daunting is the schoolyard so Mm -hmm. school months because for yeah. me, especially, you know, last year when I was really struggling with mental health, I'm suddenly so aware of how my behavior impacts my children. And in yeah. my head, I'm like, well, the mums think I'm weird. They're not going to invite my kids to the parties. And suddenly there's mm-hmm. like, this pressure to be like, I have to be this kind of, I don't want to talk about fucking what lunchboxes we're using. Do you know what I mean, I don't want to talk yeah. about what zoos we're going to that's not me I want to talk about weird stuff like I want to talk about true crime and I want to talk about books and I want to talk about what weird stuff I'm collecting this week because I'm a collector that's my thing I like to collect things and I always have and I like to have them all neatly arranged no one's allowed to touch them but in the schoolyard I feel like I almost have to put a a persona up yeah which is very hard And I've had that in a lot of offices as mm, well. Right. Like, I feel like, so my thing is kind of a folklore and, and words. And like, particularly I feel it when I work in offices with women who are very groomed and very put together. Like maybe they've got a beautiful cream colored jumper and a mulberry bag and they're glowy, glowy. And then if you <laughs> ask- I'm them, like picturing I, this awful woman. I'm like, yep. <laughs> and if you ask them like what, how they got their hair to look like that, they just look at you like- you should know that and you just feel like I could never be one of you like that's where I've felt the most judgment like when you just feel like I don't know these secret rules of womanhood nobody told me them oh do you know I remember my one of my oldest friends and I think I said something about conditioning and I was like oh I've never conditioned my hair and she looked at me like I'd grown a second head and I was like I didn't realize it was that big a deal Mm. I, I just was like I didn't know you, that was a thing. I just thought it was something you did if you like wanted to be a bit bougie. Like I didn't realize condition that was like a permanent thing. Yeah. Like where do you find out these secrets? Like, and I still feel like I don't know most of them. And like, you can attest to this. Like when we're on nights out, I'm like, look, can you do my makeup? Because I'm still not sure. 
that and I know I'm gonna tell you my worst me. nightmare because then I'm like what if I do it wrong she's gonna hate me forever <laughs> if I make her face like shit she's never gonna talk to me again so the anxiety for me is like through the roof you're like just do whatever you want I'm like and the urge to just smear it across your eyes is so strong so I'm like I don't know what I'm doing here <laughs> but, but like it's feeling so sure that you don't know the girl secrets and you don't quite know how everyone else knows the secrets but you know that they do yeah and I I think it's a popular girl thing I was not a popular girl right. again I was weird I was always <laughs> I was always a weird kid so I wasn't one of the kind of popular innocent I wasn't one of the girls who you know shaved their legs at 14 because everyone just suddenly did and I can remember being mortified because I don't think I'd shaved my underarms and okay. someone was like, oh my God, Danny doesn't shave. And I was like, when do we do that? When? <laughs> I'm 13. I didn't know there was a time. When did all we of a sudden... start doing this? That's... When does the clock suddenly change when suddenly it's like, you should be doing that? Yeah. No, I feel the same about skinny jeans. Like, I feel like everyone's not wearing skinny jeans. And I'm like, A, you're going to have to prize my skinny jeans off my cold dead body. But B, when did we stop wearing skinny jeans? And why did nobody send me a letter in the post to tell me? This is it. I feel like, and I do love now, I feel like, you know, the one thing I'll say, you know, I've gone back to uni, so I'm a mature student. Mm-hmm. Brings me so much joy. But, you know, I look at the college I'm in and these kids, some of them dress so weird, right? Mm-hmm. And I love it. And they all look different. And some of them have got kind of grown leg hair and grown armpit hair. And some of the boys, you know, a, a guy came in the other day and he's very masculine, facial skirt. And yeah. I thought, what I love, I, whilst I might not understand all of the choices and I'm not in a position to judge or really have an opinion, or, but I love the fact that teenagers seem so confident in themselves. And as we went around the room to do like an icebreaker and I was like, hi, I'm Danny, I'm 33, I have two kids. This is really awkward. A few of them in our group literally just came out and said, you know, I am autistic. Mm-hmm. I have Asperger's. I feel like it's... I don't know if it's a TikTok thing, but I feel like it's getting a lot more okay to talk about it. And I feel like particularly in the pandemic, there was a lot of like neurodivergent social content, like TikTok and and that kind of thing. I was too old for it during the pandemic. I've only just branched (laughs) in. It was a new thing. It was new and suspicious (laughs) during the pandemic. (laughs) I do not TikTok. I'm the person that watches the trends newsletters every week at Tandem going, I can't do this. I'm an old lady. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, no, there has been a lot of social content about it. So I feel like it's it's getting okay to talk about, which I love that for younger people. Like I am at a stage in my life, which I hope Fern is as well, where you kind of reach your thirties and you're like, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to tell everyone yeah, that. Fuck I'm it. I am who I am. Yeah. The thir- your 30s is very, and I can't wait for my 40s. I don't want to be 40. <laughs> but I feel like you just, each decade, you're just more liberated and you're like, fuck it. I'm here. I'm going to wear what I like. I'm going to do whatever I want with my hair and my body. And if I don't want to, you know, if I don't want to go and have a Hollywood wax, I damn well won't. Like, and I do feel, I, but I feel like the younger generations are coming into yeah. us so much sooner. And I love that. I love that for them. Yeah. Kind of, they're having it at the same time as we're having it. And I think that's. And you're always going to get, you know, dare I say your Daily Mail commenters who are going to be like, oh, everyone's got a condition today. It's trendy to be autistic. It's this, that, and the other. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that is just purely generational upbringing and this Mm -hmm. fear 
that was yeah. instilled mental health of any capacity I think especially you know my grandparents generation it was such a negative yeah I mean I I can't trust daily mail readers the other day Kim Kardashian wore this incredible fur long coat and trouser ensemble out for dinner at Nobu and they were all just insulting her in the comments and I was like are you serious that's my fashion look of 2020 also people slap her off and I'm like do you have not have eyes I know because you cannot sit there and say she's okay she's paid which was do you know what, if I had that kind of money I'd look great too exactly that and also she's making the money she's working she's providing for them kids yes, like all of them I can't I, get in. I'm not mad at them. Do you know what? I'm I'm more mad that I will never be them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They say, I just, they say yeah. money won't make you happy, but I'm like, I wanna try. Just mm. give me a, give me some time to give it feel it out. See if being a billionaire makes me happy. Exactly that. Like Courtney's married to to one of Blink 182, and that's all of our teenage dreams. So Oh no, see, I was all about Mark Hoppus. Really? I can't. Travis Barker gives me the heebs. He gives me. He looks like if like Voldemort went emo. <laughs> okay, but <laughs> jumping ship here. Jumping ship. What are we saying about Pete Wentz? I mean, I've always fancied Patrick Stump, so I have absolutely no skin in this game. Needy, I just I don't understand you. I don't even think <laughs> like, I thought I knew you. I have been I in love with Patrick Stump since he had those weird ass sideburns and wore that little hat and sugar were going down. He took my heart. I saw him in November and I swear <laughs> he ages like a fine. Pete Wentz is looking so bad these days with his weird bleached hair and his weird netted tops. And Patrick Stump ages like a fine wine. I mean, I don't even think this is an autistic <laughs> thing, but I don't get you right now. <laughs> I don't think anybody gets me. When I'm like Patrick Stump, he once wrote a, a really, really sad open letter and it was entitled, We Loved You When You Were Fat. So Patrick Stump, but Patrick Stump was quite a, was a chunky singer and I loved him. And he Is got he not very anymore? slim. Huh? Is he not anymore? But he, it, look, he's in his 40s. He's put a little bit of weight on, but he went through a little phase where he got very, very slender to do a solo okay. album. People were incredibly cruel online. And I think that was basically the, you know, we loved you and you're fat. Mm. And I was like, I get it. But it was, again, people are, are vicious online. Like when you've got a keyboard there and you can hide behind it, people are vicious. Even about people they love, you know, these people are fans of his work that still felt comfortable enough to absolutely savage him. Horrendous. Really horrific. But I'm look, I'm happy for you and Pete Wentz. I will never get over the the absolute scandal that was his photographs back in the early <laughs> 2000s. Emo girls will know what I'm talking about. We all downloaded those. We all use butterfly catchers <laughs> to get past our parents, you know, things they put on to stop us downloading stuff. We all saw them, Pete. Still available on the internet if anybody <laughs> wants to it. <laughs> I'll attach about? a link below. <laughs> Tanda will be like, please don't do that. Can you um can you affiliate link dick pics, do you reckon? Right. <laughs> if anyone's gonna try it, I would give it a go. <laughs> I would try my best. Jill, you know, this has been so so lovely to chat with you. I feel like we've really deep dived, and I think the general consensus is people need to read this damn book. Read the book, honestly. If you are autistic, you will cry, you will laugh, you will feel more seen than you have ever felt, and then you will send it to everyone you know and say, "Read this, it's me." And if you're not autistic, it's hilarious. Like. Well, and maybe. it's an insight it's the information yeah. I feel people you know if you have friends family 
even if you're just curious mm-hmm. about what it means to go through that and go through a diagnosis, I think it's it's the, the book you need to read to start getting in that headspace in a yeah. funny way, funny, honest. It's not, you know, it's not a textbook because nobody wants to sit through one of those big tombs of like, what am I autistic? Read this. I will say this. I read nearly 200 books last year and I only gave three of them five stars and this was one of them okay now I know you're autistic (laughs) you must have such a scrupulous rating I'm like every book I read is like four stars four stars five stars if I really really hate it I will give it three if I'm like oh I'm not bothered three If, if I I think I've only ever given a handful of books like one star and that was like a book that I genuinely was like I will never read this. I actually think it was Under the Dome by Stephen King oh <gasps> no do you know what I will say this about Stephen King like I love him I'm a horror girly I love Stephen King he's so inconsistent some of his work is like the best thing I've ever read some of it is like did you just write this with AI what is going on Under the Dome is the Simpsons movie but not as good right yeah I can see and it's- that it's fucking huge and I remember like the dome comes down in the earliest part of the book and I was like what could you possibly write 5,000 pages about now they're stuck in the dome they're all gonna kill each other done it's because he's too famous like no one feels mm. like they can say to him like you can't say no Stephen like could yeah. you cut 200 pages babe Stephen do we need two books about killer cars do we have a different inanimate object that could kill people <laughs> seriously <laughs> Like two two murderous cars. <laughs> they can't say no to him. He could at this point, Stephen King could write whatever he wanted. It could be a pile of dirt and they they publish it. Yeah. And it would sell. It absolutely would. It absolutely would. And yeah, <laughs> I know I'm a true crime girl and you're a horror girl. I know you tried to get me into the way of horror a few times. I can't do it. Watching horror movies movies with you, like you're like I can't do it I'm hiding behind my husband I can't what was what we've only watched one what was it yeah I think it was the ritual oh no did not enjoy yeah Adam Neville you were terrified I was absolutely I watched The Descent the other day for the first time since I was 15 and I think I actually cried (laughs) baby I was not okay and I remember like because there was a real spate in the noughties, wasn't there? Like the ring, the grudge, the mm-hmm. whole. They all had buzz at the, the descent. And yeah. they were terrifying. But I did used to watch them then. It was that folly of youth. You realise that you are not infallible when you are an adult. Exactly that. When you're yeah. a teenager, you can watch the disgusting gore and you're like, I'm untouchable. And now we're like, mm, death is too close as it is. <laughs> Your thirties are brilliant, and we're like, death is so near. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> oh my god, I'm dying. Jen, thank you so so much thank for joining you. me for this special episode. Um, absolutely, everyone, check out the book, and also go and give Jen and all her amazing colleagues at Tandem Collective UK a follow. They're fantastic. I basically got my gig in bookstagramming by winging my way through read-alongs with them and lying about who I was. <laughs> I was like, I have 3,000 followers. <laughs> and they are, you are all so lovely. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, everyone. 
thank you for listening to this episode of a novel evening i hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as i enjoyed making it please remember to go over and rate subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on instagram at a novel evening podcast and over on tiktok under the same name and we'll see you next week bye bye